Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, we hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we are passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow. And I'm Dwayne Drawn. Through our 40 years of combined dirt under the nails experience, we look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast sponsored by Yes Express. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. Today, we have a super special guest on. Um, he comes from all the way from Alberta, Canada. I'm very interested to see what kind of amazing stuff he's going to drop on us today. Um, he's a growth and development coach. He's the author of Success Left a Clue. He also has a podcast in the same name, Success Left a Clue. Um, his name is Robert Riopel. Right? Did I get it right? Uh, you, got it. you did. <laughs> <Good. laughs> I always mess names up. That's just my thing, I guess. But anyway, welcome. How you doing, Robert? I'm doing great. And I'm so happy to be here, Joshua, because you know, life is life and you're very accommodating. So happy that we got on the call together. Absolutely, absolutely. It's um yeah, I'm glad everything could line up here. And and you were telling me up in Alberta that they're saying it's gonna rain, go to snow. Is that correct here? And it's the the end of April. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, normally say April showers bring May flowers, but in Alberta, it's like April snow and May snow brings whatever in June. We don't know. (laughs) So, but don't say that bad four letter S word that, you know, you're not supposed to swear like that. No, no, we're done. We're done. Okay. No more swearing. It's got to be nice and and clean today. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So, so Robert, um, obviously you're from Alberta. Tell us a little bit about where you come from, what you're, you know, where you're raised, that kind of thing and how you got into what you do now. Yeah. You know, um, I was born actually in British Columbia, but lived most of my life in Alberta and I'm the youngest of four. And in my family, we moved around a lot when I was young because for my parents to keep working to support the family, that's what we had to do. And what was instilled in us is find that business or that company that's going to keep you very, very safe and secure and pay you well, because that's how you support your family. Now, the interesting side of that is even if you don't like the work, if it's secure and it's supporting your family, you do it plain and simple. And so that's the way I was raised. And that's what I started doing is looking for what would pay me the most? How could I work? And by the time I'm 21 and I'm a newlywed, all of a sudden I'm getting laid off from the third job. And I'm going, wait a second, I'm staying loyal. I'm working my butt off, but these places keep closing. And you know, and the third place was a factory. And I was like, Mm. I was starting to get a complex. Is it me? (laughs) Every, every business that's hiring me, all of a sudden they shut down in a couple of years, (laughs) you know? And so I started getting that complex. And in Alberta, we have oil. And if oil prices are doing well, our economy does well. But in 1989, the economy wasn't doing well and I couldn't find that real job when I got laid off. And again, being a newlywed, I wanna support my family. So I decided to start delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza. And I'm a, you know, because of my work ethic, not long into doing that, I ended up becoming a friend, uh, manager. My wife became my assistant and we started doing what we were taught to do. You work hard. In fact, we were o- working open to close seven days a week in store. Uh-huh. And we had moved to a different city to take over the management. And we were doing that for about a year and a half when all of a sudden my franchisee comes in and goes, you know what? I'm done with Domino's Pizza. I'm selling my two stores. And I went into panic mode. 
because now in my mind, I'm like, here we go again. But this yeah. time, both of us are going to lose our jobs because we know new owners come in and get rid of the managers right away because they want to bring in a fresh team. And so I'm like, okay, honey, we need to talk to the other franchisees. We need to find out who needs a manager, what store we're going to manage. And she's letting me vent for a bit. And then she finally um, stops me and goes, why would we do that? And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, well, we're qualified now to be franchisees. So why don't we just buy this store? And I looked at her and I'm like, because we don't have any money. That's why we don't buy this store. <laughs> I don't know, Joshua. Back then, my mind was like, how do you even think of doing that? My wife, who's the youngest of five, raised by a single mother, she was taught you figure out a way. And so we started learning and making a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes of saying things wrong and then adjusting, going again and trying some another way to get funds, failing, learning, failing, learning. And it took us about four and a half months. And we now had the confidence and we knew what to say and what not to say. We actually ended up being able to get our bank to give us not the funding for our store, but they actually gave us 100% financing for both the stores my franchisee had for sale. Oh, wow. And it, yeah. And, we, and so all of a sudden, here we are. We're now franchisees. And it's like, oh, yeah. we've, got, we've made it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we knew how to run a Domino's pizza store, but we didn't know how to run a business. And like your listeners know, there's a world of difference between running a business and knowing how to run an operation as a city yes. manager. And for the first two years, and I think I heard this kind of example on one of your episodes, here was our whole philosophy in the first two years. If there's money in the bank, we must be doing okay. Yeah. Because we didn't know our numbers. We didn't, we couldn't afford an accountant. Why would you have an accountant? We'll do it ourselves. We're already working 80, 90 hours a week in the store, but we'll do the accounting too. I'll tell you, I'm not the brightest light bulb, even though I look like one with my aerodynamic head, but it takes a few <laughs> kicks to the head with a frozen mucklock for me to learn. And it wasn't until the government was knocking on our door going, uh, hello, you've owned a business for two years. There's this thing called tax returns that you need to do that we finally got um, an accountant. And when they got us all straightened out, they're looking at us going, how did you guys survive? There's no way you should have made it this long. And it was sheer tenacity on our part. And we started figuring things out. And we started doing really, really well. But then we did something, Joshua, that I hope I don't shock you and your listeners on this. Because you've probably never heard anybody's ever done this before. I'm sitting We started down. spending more money than we were earning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's and happened. By the time yeah. We were franchise, yeah. By the time we were franchisees for eight years, we're now over $150,000 in debt personally mm -hmm. and going down very quickly. And that's when we were introduced to personal development, a three-day training, turned our life around. We main thing we got from, we took responsibility for our debt. We quit blaming other people. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, taking what we learned and actually putting it into action, we were able to go from being over $150,000 in debt to actually retired completely financially free nine months later at the age of 32. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking that's at this, cool. And that's, that's what our minds went to. They're like, wow, that worked. And that's where I found my passion was to teach because what we experienced as students and going through, I went, you know, if I could even help one person, one person do what my wife and I had done, go from debt to financial freedom and make it all worthwhile. And from that and being willing to just dive in and learn any way I can. Now, this is a big clue I'm giving people right now. If you want to be successful, you just dive in and start. You mm -hmm. dive in wherever you can. You start learning. You start find a mentor, find um, someone to model. And because of that, I've now spent the last 20 years personally travel around the world several times, 
um, on average flying 200,000 miles a year. I've trained over half a million students in live trainings, anywhere from three days to five days long at a time. I'm up to on stage up to 12 hours a day and um, you know, just loving what I do. And I've done over a hundred million dollars in sales from the stage in those first 18 years. You know, we won't count the last two cause I haven't been traveling, but um, <laughs> that's kind of the yeah. long, short, long version of my journey. I love that, dude. I love it. So, all right. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to unpack this a little bit, especially that 150 in a hold to, uh, to being financially free in nine months. Dude. Take us baby steps through that. Yeah. And, and I, I'm going to dispel some what some people might think, how did you go 150,000 to wealthy in nine months? And first of all, I want to be totally clear. We didn't. And here's the big clue for people. See, we learned what the definition of financial freedom was. Financial freedom is when your expenses, which we had a ton because we had all the toys. We were trying to keep up with the Joneses. Yep. If um, when your expenses are exceeded by passive income, money working for you instead of you, then you're financially free. Well, we had a lot of expenses. We didn't know what the heck passive income was. So there's no way we were ever going to get financial freedom. We'd work for the rest of our life. And after that three day training, we went, you know what? First decision is time to simplify our life. And we started thinking longer term. What don't we need right now? Sure, we would like to have it, we want it, but we don't need it that if we were to get rid of it and sell it and get rid of the expense, we could dramatically reduce our expenses. And at the same time, let's learn about this thing called passive income. What passive income could we get going? And in that nine months, we made a lot of hard decisions. We made a lot of cuts to what was nice to have in our life. And we brought our expenses down and we ended up finding two passive incomes that quickly they ended up um, exceeding one exceeded the other. So now we were technically financially free. We didn't have to work. We had enough money coming in to pay for our current lifestyle. We weren't totally out of debt, but we had enough to service it. Mm -hmm. But here's where the magic really came in. The moment that we became financially free, we received something we had never dreamed of. And that's called an extra 70, 80, 90 hours a week of extra time. Mm -hmm. See, we had been working so hard in our stores trying to earn a living that we were working those 70 plus hours every single week. And Joshua, if I was to sit there and go, you know, I'm a genie, I'm aerodynamic and I'm a genie, I'm gonna grant you a wish. Here's 50 hours a week extra to do with whatever yeah. you want. Do you think you'd be able to use it for some great things? 100%. Yeah. So we committed yeah. to take 10 of those found hours because now we weren't having to work. We we're enjoying life. We we're retired. We took 10 of those hours a week to commit it to creating wealth and focus on creating our wealth. And there's a universal principle that says what you focus on expands. Mm -hmm. And so because we were putting focus on now creating wealth, the wealth creation became so much easier. So what I want your listeners to get is this. Don't sit there and go, I want to get wealthy. Focus on getting financially free first so that you can free up the time and then you can go for the wealth because now you don't have the stress of trying to pay your bills and earn a living and trying to do the extra hard work to try and create the wealth at the same time. Get the financial freedom, free up, free up a lot of time and then use a portion of that time to create wealth and watch what you can accomplish. It's incredible. It's incredible, dude. I love that. So what was the name of this seminar? Have you ever heard of T. Harbecker's Secrets of the Millionaire Mind? Sure have. Been it. I've actually yeah. been there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So you've gone to the Millionaire Mind Intensive. Yep. Yes, I have. Yeah. Did the arrow break We're, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So a yeah. little backstory. I was actually the very first protege for T. Harbecker. 
And oh, wow. I went on to not only train almost all the trainers around the world, but I've launched a lot of the countries as we oh, wound wow. up in those That's countries. Really cool. Yeah. That was an excellent program. I had a great time there. I did it down in uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, I believe, a couple of years ago. It's okay. powerful. Do you, do you remember who the trainer was? Oh, I would think maybe, was it maybe a Nelson? No. Doug Nelson. Doug Nelson, yes. Yep. 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 Second trainer I ever trained. He's an amazing oh, wow. guy. He's excellent. Amazing He's guy. very good. Yep. yep. Aerodynamic that's, that's like incredible. me too. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> no, it's a great program. I really liked T-Harvec's work and uh, it introduced me a lot. And that was a, a very freeing event because it, it went through a lot of stuff that, you know, the whole mindset around money. You know, I'd love yep. to dive deeper into that here because especially if you're training trainers in that category, because I know that a lot of people in business, especially listening to this podcast, you know, they, they start a business, but they bring their mindset around money with them into business. And now all of a sudden they're seeing big numbers coming into the business and they, some people overspend. Some people just think, why do you guys, this piggy bank I can spend with? I don't, you know, yeah. and, and, or they go into the, the idea where they don't want to invest in their business. They don't want to invest in their education or their growth. They want to just hoard it all. So talk to me around that. What's the best way to kind of get, you know, a new business business owners out of that mindset and more into a free and abundant mindset of money. Yeah. Well, first of all, one of the things that you said is critical because even today I still do it is I still, even though I train all over the world, I am still in as a student in as many audiences as I can, because mm -hmm. the moment I think I know it all, I am done. And so, especially in, you know, this kind of where time is at now, I do a lot of zoom trainings where I'm a student, I'm in masterminds where I'm online because I don't want to, and, and I've learned it the hard way by thinking, hey, I knew enough. And then I watched my life implode. So the first mindset is invest in yourself. Best investment you'll ever make, one you'll never lose out on. Two is don't be afraid to ask for help. Quit trying to do it on your own. And there's people out there, I don't care what business you're in, whatever you want to achieve, chances are someone's done it already. So find out how they did it and find out how you can learn what they did. So you now have something to model, which will allow you to do what's working and avoid some of the things that did not work for that person. You know, because you brought up as being a trainer, I, because I've been blessed to train thousands of trainers all over the world, it's not because I've been great at it all my life. You know, one of my favorite quote from Har's book, every master was once a disaster. Mm, yes. And most business owners, from my experience, because I was one of them, not willing to go through the disaster stage. We want it to be perfect and good right off the bat. Yep. But you've got to be willing to put the work in. And if something doesn't work, don't get frustrated. Learn from it and go again. Adjust and go again. And so, especially in the beginning, invest in yourself. Be willing to invest in your business. But do it on that tight budget. Don't get overexpending. You know, keep it like if I was to go back into Domino's today, I would do it totally different mm -hmm. from how I did it when I was 23 years of age buying my first stores. So, you know, there's a lot of learning curves and that's why mentors and coaches are a great way to be able to really tap into the path of least resistance, I guess you could call it. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. I went down that same path when I first started, you know, I was, I was, everything had to be my way. I didn't want to ask for help. God forbid I would do that. Right. And I, mm -hmm. I might be told something I, I didn't want to hear. So I just did it myself. And I heard no from so many clients for so, so long because I either wasn't listening or I was over budget or whatever is a whole plethora of reasons. And I just kept thinking, you know, you know, if one day it's going to work, one day it's going to work. And, and anyway, thank goodness I, I grew up mentally and started to work with mentors 
mentors and coaches and did mm-hmm. T Harv X work. I, I went to warrior camp, which was life changing for me. You know what I mean? I really, <laughs> really enjoyed that. Um, really worked with, uh, you know, just some amazing, amazing human beings there. That really changed my life. Yeah. That was the longest firewalk I ever did with like 30 feet long. It was crazy, but it was, well, uh, it was 36 a, feet. A and, uh, and, uh it? yeah, and I, <laughs> that's, that's one of the things I'm very proud of is I've actually taught more warrior camps than anybody on the planet, including Harv, uh, who created it. Um, yeah. And actually, now that we're starting to travel, I'll be back in India in September to do the shorter version of that camp. Um, that's okay. called Warrior Power. And um, actually, in October, I'll do the virtual version of it now that we had to create because of the times. Um, and I'll be teaching that from here in my studio, actually on the other side of this wall, because you know we had to adjust. And this is another thing for businesses: be willing to adjust. You know, two powerful words that I use in my life. Because picture this: March tenth, twenty twenty. I'm in India. I hop on a plane to fly back home after doing a powerful three-day training. I land in Toronto and the world had changed while I was in the air for 16 hours. They kept us on the tarmac. When they finally allowed us to come, there's two customs agents there checking the passports as we come off. Luckily, they let me fly home. I got put into quarantine. I went from 200,000 miles a year down to zero. All my live events being canceled. And I went into, I did go into victim mode for a couple weeks. But when my wife and I started realizing that we needed to adjust, the two powerful words that we always ask ourselves are what's next. And the moment we did that, also the creativity opened up. And if you do this in your business, if something doesn't work, ask yourself, what's next? Because if you're not willing to change with the times, look at how many businesses went under, especially at the beginning of COVID, because they weren't willing to, well, we've always done it this way. We've never done that. Well, get with the times and learn the new way of doing it. And so we ended up building... And it took a lot because there was a lot of you know, unknowns, but we ended up building a 2,400 square foot training center off the back of our home, which is something we planned to do years down the road anyway. Well, mm-hmm. COVID sped that up. And because we went, what's next? We decided to build it. But then of course, all the what if scenarios. Well, what if you don't have live events? We don't know how long it's gonna last. What if, and what if, what if, what if? So two more powerful words that came up, all in. Here's one of the biggest mistakes I've seen entrepreneurs make. They make sure they have the plan B that in case this doesn't work, at least I can fall back on plan B. And where do you think your mind's going to go? It's going to look for every little speed bump to go. See, I knew it wasn't going to work. I might as well do it this way. And so we go all in. And because of that, I've now got a beautiful and look, when it finally got built, we still couldn't have students. So I turned it into a super zoom room. So I've got two video walls. I can see three, 400 students at a time, multiple cameras. I can mic up and walk around instead of having to be right in front of the um, microphone and stuff like that, because we said, what's next? And in business, that is critical. And so, yeah, being able to, as we're coming out of this, the world's different. I'll still do live events, but instead of 20 a year, I'll now do three or four because I've set up for my students to come to me or to do things virtually. That's how you do business. That's the pivot. That's, you got to see the opportunity in every, everything that's coming. There's, there's always, you know, the, the, I know when I was at warrior camp, I believe her name was Mary Jean. I might be butchering Margie. that, but Margie, that's Margie. what it was. Yes. Yeah. First, first female trainer I ever, I ever led trained. By. Yeah. It was the first female leader I've ever had at one of these events. And I tell you, I was a little bit apprehensive in the beginning. I'm like, okay, this is going to be different. A girl kind of telling you what to do and all this. She was probably one of the most powerful people I've ever met when it comes to that. And she taught me something. She amazing, amazing human being, but she taught me something that I hold near and dear to my heart. And I've said it many times this podcast, this concept of ready, fire, aim. Yes. She dropped that on my lap and I'm like, 
fuck. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I've been living my yeah. life like that ever since I learned that and everything has changed because I used to be a procrastinator. I always wanted everything to be right, everything to be perfect, everything to be just the right time to say go. The problem is it never happened. And I kept getting mad and frustrated and overwhelmed and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's it. I know why my heart's in it. I can't wait. I know exactly why I'm doing this. It's all driven intrinsically. I'm like, go, we'll figure it out as we go. And people think I'm nuts and it's okay because that's a great I, I love that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly call, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard a lot. So, <laughs> no, that was amazing. That was a hell of a, a chunk of such a small concept, but in small twists, right? Ready, aim, fire, but just spin it. And all of a sudden, everything becomes possible because once you let that arrow go or that bullet go and you've got to now direct it, you can't back off. You have to that's be right. wide open. You have to be all in. Yeah. And place big and bets and go like a son of a bitch. Just make sure the why is deep rooted in your yes. soul. That'll that's that's exactly it. Yeah. Because we're, I never want people to believe that life is going to always be easy. And people go, well, success is hard. Yes, it is. But most people are working harder staying broke than they would actually for working to be successful. And so yes. you're working hard anyway. Why not work the ways that get you successful so you can design the life you truly want? And that's where it's ready, fire, aim, fire, aim, fire, aim. And you just keep firing and aiming. You make those adjustments until you reach your goals and then you keep going and do it again. Yeah. Yep. Dude, I love that. I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm quite almost speechless here to realize who I'm actually talking to. I didn't know your, all your, your connection with this and how powerful it's been in my life. And I just have to thank you for all of your training of all these amazing oh. people because they impact just millions and millions of people, brothers. Thank you for what you do. Oh, my absolute pleasure. And it's what so, I love so to cool. do. You know, yeah. that's what I love to do. So when I, and, and that's, you know, like I'm, I'm lit up with goosebumps right now, Joshua, because I was, you know, you talk about the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And one of the greatest feelings I get is when someone comes up and says, Hey, do you remember when you said this or because of this, here's how it's changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I love that. But then I start to think about it is all the people I have no idea whose lives I've impacted because mm-hmm. I impacted someone who then impacted someone who impacted someone. And the beautiful mm-hmm. part of that is I don't need to know. So when exactly. all of a sudden out of random, you and I are on a call and we realize that someone whose life I changed has changed your life. I'm just like, I'm lit. I'm all lit up because that's, that's one of the main reasons why I do what I do is because I I get to meet amazing people. I love it, dude. I love it. And I I often think of that meme that I see where, you know, somebody's just kind of holding a candle and it's lit right by themselves. And that's all you just see that picture. It's kind of dark. And then in Mm the next frame, you see somebody sharing that flame with another person, another person, another person, another person. And the cool part is the original person's candle doesn't get any dimmer and actually stays the same and everyone (laughs) else's grows. So you're spreading the flame. You're spreading this information, dude. And it's, it's so powerful. And, you know, each one teach one is, is near and dear to my heart. And I love that that's you know, that's the case. And I did take a look a little bit into you before we got on the call and, and you already mentioned one, you know, every master was at once a disaster. And I love that because I can reflect quite a much, quite much on that. Um, but also you had one here where leaders are not born, they are developed. Tell me a little bit more about yeah. that. Well, it's, it's like, <laughs> I am a different person today than I was even 15, 20 years ago. Um, being that if it wasn't for my wife and, and, and I'm going to explain it like this, one of the greatest gifts my wife has given me is she's not willing to let me play smaller than I am because left to myself, I'd be in a job still miserable mm-hmm. as hell, but comfortable. 
And she's not willing to let me play that smaller game. So she kicks me in the butt sometimes. And of course, I'm always open to when she says, hey, why aren't you playing a bigger game? I'm always open, right? <laughs> but I look back and I go, wow. And um, I never looked at myself as being a leader. But then as I started to learn, there are skills. There are actual systems. There are ways you can develop leadership. It's a learnable skill. And if you are willing to invest in the time to learn that, all of a sudden, next thing you know, you know, at a young age, I was in something in Canada called Sea Cadets. And one of the courses, um, one summer, every summer I'd spend at summer camps, anywhere from two weeks to eight weeks for the summer. And the one course at when I was 16 that radically changed my life was called Practical Leadership. And it was eight weeks of just how to be a leader. And so... You know, and it's kind of a little interesting side story because you've taken some of the courses. One of the courses at Harvard Design was called Ultimate Leadership Camp. Mm -hmm. And I learned, because being his first trainer, I learned to quit mentioning some of the stuff I did as a kid in these camps to Harv because all of a sudden it turned into a process in some of the camps that he was <laughs> designing. And so when, when we did Ultimate Leadership Camp the first year, we had three of them back to back. First one in New York and two in California. Harv and I co-trained the first two and then I led the third one. And we were literally, you talk about leadership and it goes back to what we, the ready, fire, aim. He had designed what he wanted in and he had too much. He knew he did. So as we we're doing the camp, we we're actually adjusting. And the second camp was a little bit different. By the time we had the second camp done, we now knew what's the format going to be full on. And we cut some things that, nope, don't time for that. But the leadership, the way people came out of there as leaders, and I still talk to a lot of students today. Um, one of my favorite people, she's out of India. Um, and Rupa, she she flew all the way to Malaysia to take the leadership training. And it so dramatically changed her life that she went back home and said, you know what? It's time for me to step up as a leader. And all of a sudden she took on a role on a, on a community, a Facebook community, and she's grown it to 180,000 people in this community because wow. she decided to, it's time for me to lead her. She never yeah. thought she was born a leader. She mm -hmm. learned to develop it. And that's why I say you can. Even if you think you're not, you can develop. You just got to be willing to trust you. And that comes from the warrior principle, right? The one person in the world that you need to trust is sitting in your yep. seat. Yes, Trust exactly. that you can handle whatever situation comes your way. Not to yep. challenge the universe to try and send it your way, but trusting that you can handle. If a situation comes up in the moment, you'll be able to handle it. And from that, she's developed her leadership skills where she's now um, had the courage to compete in a competition like America's Got Talent in India was called India's Next Great Speaker. They had 42,000 people apply hmm. and she made it to the top 100. Wow. That's powerful. That's yeah. really amazing. And That's she really attributes powerful. it to the fact that she feels she is a leader and she has something that people you know can utilize. And she's so right. And so many Absolutely. people discount that they do. Every single person that's listened to this podcast right now, you are a leader, whether you think you are or not. The question is, are you leading out of ego, which is not mm -hmm. going to be good? Or are you leading out of confidence and compassion and being present and being just authentically yourself? There's a difference there. How can you tell if you're a new leader trying to test this out and you're, you're thinking, I'm not sure which side I'm on, the ego or the, you know, on the sage side, where, where do you think, how do you think you could tell? Well, first of all, quit trying to tell. You're going to see the signs all over the place. But if you're thinking about it, that's going to tend to go more to the ego because you're going to be trying to figure it out. It's just checking in with yourself. 
You know, how did, okay, we went this way. And, and it, let's go back to um, leadership camp. And there's three questions that I still use today in everything I do, whether it's something I do on my own or with one of my teams. Every time we finish some kind of process or going through something, we sit down, we take the ego, we take the emotions out of it and we say, okay, point in fact, what are some of the things that worked? And we just do a point form. This worked, this worked, this worked, this worked. Then the next one, which is a little tougher because again, you've got to keep your emotions. You've got to keep the ego out of it. It's what did not work. And don't sit there and say, well, because of him, this didn't, no, it's, well, this didn't work. This didn't work. This one. And you just keep it total emotion out of it. And then the third question is, what can we do different? Mm-hmm. And when you ask that third question, a lot of the answers come from what didn't work to now, how are we going to change it? And so when you're stepping in and you're wondering about yourself, ask those three questions of yourself. Okay. I just did this little, uh, I had five people in my team that I was leading. Okay. What worked? Boom, 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 boom. Don't beat up on yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. Just what, just matter of fact, this worked, this worked, this worked. This didn't work. This didn't work. This one. So next time I do this different. And then the next time you step into it, do it a little different. And you're going to see how it'll naturally just start to feel where you'll feel that it's on or it's off, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I else to explain it. it than that. Yeah. I think it's more of it a, is a feeling, feeling than it is a thought. Yeah. And you're going to see it in the people around you that you're leading. Yeah. And, and, and one of the, probably the greatest way to know if you're a leader or not, the greatest leaders are also the greatest followers. Meaning if you're not in the leadership position, are you willing to hundred percent support that leader and be there at hundred percent, even if you're not the leader yourself? Because so many times the people that are in their ego, it's like, well, if I'm not the leader, well, screw you. It's like, no, if I'm sitting um, as there and I'm not chosen as a leader or for whatever it is, I'm still going to give 100%. I want that leader to look amazing. I want them to succeed because that helps everybody. Yeah, I love that. No, that's, that's really great. You mentioned earlier about how your wife, you know, keeps you in check as far as the keeping your vision big, right? And I, I, I can yeah. relate, right? My wife is an incredible woman. We've been married, we'll be together almost 20 years now. And, you know, there's times when we'll have, we go for our walks each day now and, uh, right. I'm walking around and she, we talk about stuff and she's like, you could probably do more than that. This, the, why, why are you thinking so small? And I'm like, right. What? <laughs> right. And I'm sitting here thinking, that's right. Why am I thinking like, well, that's because you did it before doesn't mean it has to be that way. You could, and I'm like, holy crap. So I like to tell everyone out there, gentlemen, especially that, you know, these leaders look like they're amazing people doing it all on their own. They have, most of them have really strong wives that are really close oh. to them as well to help and support an incredible yeah. amount through this whole thing. The quiet behind the scenes people. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that I disagree with completely is the saying that says behind every great man is a great woman. I think that's absolute crap. It's beside every great man is a great yes, woman. 100%. Or look, in today's day and age, beside every great leader is another great leader. Like it's, it's however your spouse, however your partnership is, quit trying to do it on your own. See, the mm-hmm. surest sign of a great leader, and I'll go back to my Domino's Pizza days, Tom Monahan. When he started Domino's Pizza with his brother in the early 60s, you know, as a way of paying their way through university, they bought a little store called Dominic's. Um, they started expanding it. And all of a sudden, once they were at three stores, all of a sudden um, they got sued by Domino's or Dominic's Sugar saying, you can't use that name. They fought it for a while. And after fighting it for a while, they lost. And so they sat down with their staff and they said, hey, we can't use the word Dominic's as our um, as our name anymore. What can we rename the stores, the business? And at this point, his brother said, you know what? I'm out. I don't want to be in this business anymore. This is too hard. So for his half of the company 
Tom Monahan gave him his Volkswagen Beetle in exchange for his brother's half of the company. And he's in this meeting and one of the drivers said, well, why don't we call it Domino's? It's close to Dominic, so it's not a big change. And we can use a logo of a Domino and because we have three stores, we can do the three dots. And every store that we build, we'll just add another dot to the logo. <laughs> well, thank goodness they didn't do that part because you know now there's thousands <laughs> of stores around the world. But yeah. from that shift, and also when Tom Monahan sold 93% of Domino's Pizza to Bain Capital back in the 90s, he sold 93% for $1.1 billion. And a person asked him, said, well, Tom, how, what do you attribute your success for being able to grow Domino's the way you did? And he said, I always hired people smarter than me. Mm. He said, because if I'm the person that's the smartest in the room, I'm going to be in trouble. He yeah. said, so every, he says, every person I hire, I want to hire someone smarter than me because I know what I don't know. And how many yeah. people are willing, not willing to admit what they don't know. Yep. They're going to be the smartest in the room. Yep. Yep. That's, so that's be, be that dumbest. And, and this is actually, here's for your business owners too, especially your entrepreneurs. Whenever you go into a networking meeting or a place, a room filled with other entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. go in and be the dumbest person in the room. Because now you're going to open your listening ears and you're going to truly be interested in what other people say and do. Because you'll be blown away with who you're going to meet. And I learned this from my audiences. I never know who's in my audiences. I never knew one time I had a billionaire in my audience. And when people figured out who he was, they're like, why are you at the millionaire mind intensive when you're a billionaire? And he's like, because I want to grow even more. And I know there's things I don't know. So I'm here to learn. And nicest, most grounded person you've ever met, right? So I'm always amazingly surprised with the phenomenal people in my audiences that I could be the guy on stage like, hey, I'm the trainer. I'm untouchable. You can't even approach me. No, I want to, when, when I'm traveling around the world and people come up, like I was in Bangkok the one time and a student comes up, hey, you were mentioning you like golf. Um, me and a couple guys are going golfing in two days. I think you're still in town before you fly to the next country. Would you like to join us? And I went, sure. And all of a sudden he's like, what do you mean, sure? I said, I would love to. Oh, I said, was that not the answer you were expecting? He goes, well, I didn't think, you know, because I didn't know. I said, well, here's my option. I'm here by myself. So if I'm not doing something fun, I'd be sitting in my hotel room doing work. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't I want to go golfing? I said, I'm not here with my wife, so we're not sightseeing. I said, I'm here doing business and I love to go and hit the ball. I'm not good at golf. I love to go play that WFC. And I don't know, Joshua, do you know what WFC stands for? I do not. Please let me know. Whack, fuck, chase. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how I play. And and all of a sudden they were absolutely shocked. And then when we're out on the golf course and I'm finding out this one guy, as an example, his family business is manufacturing and they have three factories. And he's now being groomed to take it over the whole um, industry. And he's just like an everyday guy, but scared to crap of do, am I the right person to take it over? You know, I have to live up to my, what my parents have been able to do and stuff like that. And that's why he was growing himself is to have the more confidence to step into that leadership role. And I could have looked in the audience and went, oh, I don't know. You know, you never know who's out there. So when you're going into a networking, go in as the dumbest person and be there to truly want to know about people and just get ready to be blown away by who you're going to meet. I love that advice too. That is so powerful. I know sometimes 
I used to not go to meetings or like big events because I was afraid that I walk in that I would be the dumbest one or that people would peg me as somebody dumb because I was just starting in business. I didn't know when these guys had been in for 20 years and they have million dollar companies. And a lot of that was head trash, right? It was just stuff going through my head. I was just afraid the ego was trying to protect itself. Anyway, once I stopped doing that and I started walking in being like, I will learn something and I will meet someone tonight. I don't know what it is, nor do I care at this point. Let's just go and let the universe do its thing. And next thing you know, it's like, holy crap. My life is so much better because I took that chance and I went into mm-hmm. that room or I went into warrior camp knowing not one soul or went into millionaire mind, not knowing one soul and walk out a different man and met brothers and sisters I'll have for the rest of my life. I still am in communication yeah. with people that I went to warrior camp, but seven plus years ago. And Absolutely. we're still in communication with masterminds that we set up and we're still in each other's lives. And it's when you go through events like that, you know, those experiential events. That's why I'm such a big proponent of those things. Even if I don't even know what the subject matter is, as long as it's experiential, and it's a couple of days away from everything. I will learn something and yeah. that's all that matters. And I'll let the, the, the environment teach me what it is, but that's when you go in there completely vulnerable and just willing to have an experience, that's when life starts to change. That's at least, that's what I've found. Have you found the same thing? Without a doubt. And when you go in with being of service too, you know, um, probably one of the greatest things that helped, um, because you brought up procrastination earlier. Mm -hmm. And I'll let you know, you're looking at a world-class procrastinator right here. If if it was a sport, I'd be the gold medalist. And (laughs) for years, I fought against that. I beat myself up for being a procrastinator. Mm -hmm. And when I finally realized, well, you know, it's part of who I am. So I can either strike and try to um, work against it or I can work with it. And that's where I came up with my one quote that says, I design my day in such a way that procrastination cannot play. And so for me as an example, I don't have to work for money. Haven't had to for years. So I purposely will schedule my meetings or calls early in the morning so that as soon as I've committed to someone else, I'm up. And mm-hmm. I, as soon as I'm up, I'm up for the day. So I, I don't mind, and especially with students around the world, I don't mind scheduling for something 7 a.m., 6 a.m., if that's the only time that, and so I'm up and I'm going. And so that's really, really served me well by you know working with my procrastination in that sense. So I would recommend that to, you know, and again, this is where, again, quit trying to do it on your own. Find systems, find people to hold you accountable masterminds. I love that you brought that up because other people that can be there and they want to have the same things that you do or, you know, get that. And I, and I'm going to kind of put a twist because remember I said, I'm still learning (laughs) a year and a half ago. One of my students gave me a paradigm shift because I'm always talking about, I love being surrounded by like-minded people. It's amazing. And all of a sudden, actually it was one of my mentors, sorry on this one. And all of a sudden he looked at me and said, Robert, let me ask you a question. He said, uh, if you're in a room full of like-minded people and they're all complainers, what do you think you're going to be? Mm. And I'm like, Ooh. Ouch. And I said, okay, so what's the answer? Yeah. <laughs> what should I say? <laughs> yeah. He says, what I want you to think about is, he says, maybe surround yourself with growth-minded people. He said, and here's the difference. The growth-minded person is the one that's going to be your greatest cheering leader. When you're doing well, they're going to be cheering you on. The growth-minded person is going to be the one that if you stumble, they're going to help pick you up. But the most important role that they're going to have is they're the person that's going to be willing to have the tough conversations with you when you need the tough conversations. Like, Joshua, why are you playing small? Yeah, You're greater than this. Why are you holding back? And, you know, they're willing to step into the heat to have those conversations, plain and simple. So from that moment forward, 
that's how I reframe my whole mindset is I'm looking for those growth minded people in my life. And then of course, because that's what I'm looking for, guess what I'm attracting to me Yes, is people that, well, well, Robert, won't I lose some friends? You might, or your friends might go, I want to have what you're having and they'll grow with you. Yes. So a couple more tips there. I love that. I love that dude. <laughs> Such good stuff. Hey, I'm going to throw a curveball out here. So Robert, what's one thing that scares you? <laughs> Only one. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> I, I could go with the easy answer of like skydiving, but mm-hmm. um, one of the things that terrifies me is getting even more successful. And um, because it's easy to get comfortable in the life I have. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I'm doing a new uh, uh, venture, actually. Oh, you, you remember at Warrior, we won't talk about the specifics, but you, you remember the predicament. Yes. Do you remember who led the predicament? I do oh, not. Oh, aerodynamic by me, like me, with a goatee like me, and uh, named Aaron Huey? It could be. It could be. Yeah. If you did it within the last, um, since 2005 or 2011, it would have been um, Aaron that would have led it. He does it all okay. over the world. We've trained together for 15 years. He's a really like one of my best friends and, um, we, you know, a business partner now. And, yep. um, you know, because of the work we've been doing since the world changed two years ago, we've now both been growing. You know, he, he's made millions in real estate. He ran one of the top, um, uh, uh, residential facilities for at-risk risk youth in the U.S. Uh, where he would take kids that had gone through suicide attempts, addictions, and all that. He'd work with them and their families. Just amazing, amazing man. Him and his wife, um, Chris, are just amazing couple. And all of a sudden, from the work we've been doing together and creating, next thing you know, all of a sudden, we're being introduced to be part of a company and be on the, the board of a company that we think millions and tens of millions well, this one's now looking at the billions of dollars that will, because we're creating it to sell it. And all of a sudden it's like, we're starting to look at the numbers and, and all of a sudden I go, oh, and I found myself do that. And he found himself do that. And we checked in with each other and going, where's that coming from? Yeah. And it's like, wow. Cause we had never dreamed of numbers those big, that big. And so it's a whole new scary prospect that we're going towards. But the cool thing is, is to get there, we're going to impact a lot of lives, millions of lives to get where we want to go. And the, the person we're partnered with, his, his big, hairy, audacious goal, as Jack Canfield would call it, is that we want to win a Nobel Peace Prize for changing the education system. And that's the big goal we're going for. Wow. The money will be a beautiful little side effect and it's scary as hell. But mm. I'll tell you, it's, it's worth the journey that we're going on. It's exciting, that, dude. <laughs> yeah, it gets the blood pumping, doesn't it? <laughs> it? Well, it does. And and I have a friend who I years ago nicknamed the quantum monk because he actually was a monk for eight years, did over 15,000 hours of meditation. And he also studies quantum physics. And so he can tell you about spirituality and back it up with the science. And in one of his researches, he realized that the physical responses your body goes through when you're in fear you know, the dopamine, the way your neurons fire, everything that's going on in your system when you're in fear, it is the identical, identical response that your body goes through when you're excited. There's no difference. It's only your mind trying to say, no, that's fear, that's excitement. 
So whenever one of the things he taught me that I use it today still every day is anytime something makes me go, <gasps> all of a sudden, I, as soon as I realize I'm in a little bit of fear, I use the mantra he taught me, which is, no, no, that's not fear. That's excitement. And I reframe <laughs> it right there and I go, yeah. okay. And that allows me to take that one more step. Man, that is powerful. And it's funny you say that because recently I've, I've found that the same kind of feeling when you get the the excitement and the fear and you're like, wait a minute here, all I got to do is just move the wire from <laughs> A to B, right? And I'm good to go. But t- talk a little bit more about that to so listeners that don't understand what we understand about, you know, being able to make those decisions as they really truly are, you know, and what the meaning of those things are and the response that you're given, you know, some think that it's it's wired in, it's just what I do. That's my my home, my emotional home, like Tony Robbins says, you. that's where you end up, right? I can't change it. That's how I was born. Like walk me through how that works. How, how can I, how can I do this for me? Well, let's, let's, I'll give you a little tool for overwhelm because I know you probably um, have experienced a lot of people, maybe even the person in your seat that experiences overwhelm every once in a while. And as I've been doing my work and working on my own material um, now that, you know, I'm not traveling as much. Uh, one of the things I've really realized is that there's kind of a couple of reasons why people go into overwhelm. One of the reasons is they sit there and they go, okay, I'm here and what do I need to accomplish is way over there. And all of a sudden their mind goes the thousand steps ahead, starting to figure out every little scenario. How's it going to look? What do I need to do? What's it going to look like? What if this goes wrong? And so no wonder you get overwhelmed because you're so far in the future or you're now anchored to the past of the being the victim. Well, this happened last time I tried that or because of this, that didn't work. And the moment that you're far in the future or still holding on to the past, you're going to go into overwhelm. And so what I recommend is take a nice deep breath in, come back to center, come back to the present and ask yourself a simple question. What is one step that I can take right now, right here? And especially in the beginning, make it something so simple. And I don't know, Joshua, I like messing with my mind. Do you like messing with your mind? Oh, every day, dude. <laughs> right? So here's how you mess with your mind. In the beginning, especially, because you're it's all about creating the habit. It's never going to be about what you're doing. It's about the habit you're creating. And so in the beginning, especially, make those steps so small that your mind's going, that's stupid. That's not going to make a difference. Why would you do that? Because if you your mind's trying to stop you, you know you're on the right track. Because it's not about taking the step. It's about what you do after you take the step. And that's to celebrate it. So it might be, um, okay, I finally decided I'm going to start writing my second book. Great. What's one, and also my mind goes, oh my goodness, uh, publishers, editors, blah, 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 where am I going to have the time? Okay, stop, deep breath. What's one step I can do right now? Hmm. I'm going to take my pen. I'm going to write down, I commit to writing my book. Yes! And I'm going to anchor it in. And my mind's going to go, you're a nut job. And I'm like, yes, I am. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, but now, because I've taken that little step, I can then ask again, what's one more step? Mm-hmm. And that's why that saying success comes one step at a time is so, so true. And so you make it so easy in the beginning because the mind doesn't know the difference between small, medium and large. Or sorry, there is no difference. The mind tries to make a difference. And success is a success is a success. So you make it so ridiculously easy in the beginning that drives your mind crazy. And while you're doing that, you're actually subconsciously creating the habit that, hey, I said I'm going to do it and I did. Yes. Said I'm going to do this. I did. Yes. Before also next thing you know, you're sitting there going, okay, today I'm going to get chapter one done. And you write it and you're going, how the heck did I just do that? Oh, right. I said I was going to do it and I did. And that's how you, that's especially when you're overwhelmed, 
do those little things and watch what watch what will happen. And not to even mention the confidence that you build when you make promises and you keep them to yourself, not to other people so much. It's, I mean, that's important too, but still it's the ones you keep for yourself and those little micro rituals you're talking about here. My God, they stack and they accumulate like snow and pretty soon you've got feet of snow outside instead of just a half inch. You know, it's oh, you're incredible bringing up that how they stack. Four letter S word again, aren't you? Thank you oh, very much. I told you I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I know you're going to get slammed man. on it. <laughs> I love Good that. Good we have no fun. That's right. That's right. So what's the best advice you ever received? Hmm. Probably from my main mentor that taught me how to be a trainer. And a gentleman by the name of Blair Singer. And he said this, never be afraid to meet a student somewhere in the world and have to figure out who to be. See, and this is one of my pet peeves on the stage is when I see someone on the stage who's one way. And the moment they step off, they're a totally different person. Hmm. And so authenticity me, authenticity to me is one of the most um, crucial things. It's, I believe it's the greatest gift anybody can give the world. Show up for who you are, no matter what it looks like. And so because of that advice, I'm me on the stage. I'm goofy. I'm a goofball. I like to have fun. I can be serious when I need to be serious. I'll get the, there's a reason I've trained so many people because I know how to be me on the stage. And I've met students all over the world. And a lot of times they're like, you are the same as you are on stage. And I'm like, yeah, that's all I know how to be. And, and I really got the lesson ingrained um, when I became the first trainer. My wife became one of the first logistics supervisors that ran the behind the scenes. And, you know, when I started training, a small room for us was 1,500, 2,000 people in a room and everybody wanted to be on our stage. And because I was a hard right hand, everybody, Robert, oh, I'd love to be on stage. You're amazing. And, you know, act, try to get my approval. And so my wife and I, in the beginning, they didn't know she was the one running the event. So as soon as they stepped off the stage that night, my wife and I would talk and I'd say, so tell me, how were they to the staff members? And it was mind blowing how many people who were Mr. or Miss Charismatic on the stage, the moment they stepped off the stage, they became jerks and um, especially to the staff. And that doesn't work for me. You know, if you're a jerk, be a jerk authentically on the stage then. Because then at least the people who like you, like you for who you are instead of who they think you are. And so that's probably been the greatest advice is just be yourself no matter what you're doing. Because either people are going to like you or they're not. And if they like you for who you are, awesome. If they don't, awesome. Yeah. And that takes the pressure off you having to try to please people. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's a powerful one. And I know that, you know, a lot of business owners out there listening, you know, they feel like they've got to be a certain way to their clients and then they you don't know, feel that the, they have to come and bring the show each time They go out and meet with them, sales calls, designs, whatever. And then all of a sudden they, yeah, as soon as they're gone, like, oh, thank God that's over. Now I can go back mm -hmm. to being me. And it's, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting it to live two lives. <laughs> so it's either the best thing to do is just show up as you are. They're going to either accept you or not. But imagine when you don't have to always put on that extra layer of bullshit in order to go out there and just be authentically you. And if that's not enough, then that's okay. Well, and, and, and you're hitting a crucial, uh, crucial. See, I've got to get my mouth working now. <laughs> you're hitting an amazing point right there, Joshua, is because one of the fears that comes up for a, uh, an entrepreneur is it, well, won't, what if I can't get enough clients? What if I'm, you know, not doing enough business because I'm, people don't like my style or whatever. And what I want them to realize, because again, this is coming from my example, my experience, I've lived this. When I was trying to please a lot of people, it was biting me in the butt more often than not, because all of a sudden people could, you know, something's not right here. 
They could yeah. smell that I wasn't being authentic. And so I would lose customers because of that. And then uh, today I am still so surprised with the people that will come up to me and say, I want to do business with you. And I'm like, wow. Okay. And, and you know, like when billionaires are coming up to me going, how can I assist you? Because yeah. I love who you are as a person and I love what you do. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Because so yes, you may, have less customers in the beginning, but the more authentic you are, you'll be blown away by the people that then start getting attracted. They start nice. like my new book, which is going to be called is called the authority key that I'm writing right now. It's not only about the practical ways to become an authority, but it's the, who are you as the person to handle being that authority? And this is a big part of it. Cause it's the internal work of, I don't want to, I don't want you to have success and lose it all because you didn't know how to handle it. I want you to be able to grow you to be able to handle that success so that all of a sudden the people that are coming to you know that they can rely on you because you are the authority authentically, not trying to fake it till you make it, trying to, well, I'll promise this even if I can't do it, whatever it is. You can actually be more successful being yourself and working on you than trying to be someone else. Yeah. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And it's so much easier. You know, I heard, I heard something one time where it said, um, you, you know, there's only one of you. So just be authentic there. You, there's no competition. You're the only one with that, that fingerprint. And I've <laughs> you know, lived by that. It's such a, an amazing thought. Cause you think about it, you know, you look at your hand and you're like, God gave me this exact fingerprint. No one else out of 8 billion people have it. Why the yep. hell am I playing small? Why? why? Yep. It's, it's, yep. there's exactly. no one like me. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, so and, why and not saying share that with that? confidence? Yeah. Saying that with confidence, not arrogance. Yeah. hundred percent. That, yes. That's the difference. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing, dude. So Robert, I could, I honestly could talk to you for days. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> This has been so much fun. I super appreciate you coming on and spending your very valuable time to share your thoughts with our listeners. And uh, how can people find you? I know you have a book and you have a podcast. How can people find you and continue you know, learning about you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you just said something that is so true, you know, on the about precious time. I believe that one of our most precious commodities that we have is time. And the fact that you took your precious time to ask me and invite me and interview me, I thank you so much for that. And the fact that your audience is taking their valuable time to listen to this aerodynamic dude ramble on. I, I so <laughs> appreciate that because it allows me to live my passion. So as what I'd love to do to make it easy for everybody to find me as a gift from you and I to them, you know, my first book, Success Left a Clue, which is an international best-selling book. If they just go to robertrealpel.com, my name, R-O-B-E-R-T-R-I-O-P-E-L.com, they're actually going to be able to download the entire digital copy of the book as our gift to them for taking the time to listen to the show and just to thank them. But I will say it does come with a caveat though. See, I didn't write the book for people to take the book and put it on the shelf and make it shelf help. That's not why I wrote it. Step number three in this book is take action. All over the world, the biggest difference between people I've met that are successful versus people that are not successful, people take action. So I wrote this book as a workbook and all the way through, I actually have action steps. And being the goofball that I am, I even say sometimes in the book, I'll say, hey, did you do the last action? If not, stop reading right now, go back, do that action before you read any further. So if my promise to them is this, if you download the book, read it and do the action steps, you'll see you'll take your life to another level. 
And so I'd love to offer that to them. And when they download the book, they're also going to be able to, because I'm in my give back phase of my life. I'm loving, I'm not traveling 200,000 miles a year around the world now. So I have extra time. So they'll also be able to book in a one-on-one 20 minute call with me where I'm going to, they'll fill out a questionnaire and I'm going to give them strategies on how to get over obstacles that they may be experiencing right now. It could be in business, it could be personal, whatever it is. And on that call, I don't do any selling. I'm just there to be of service to them, help them with where they're stuck. And so they can do that as well and book that in. Robert, that is unbelievably gracious of you. And uh, let me tell every listener out there that the events that I was to, that this man trained the trainers that I uh, worked with, it, it changed my life. It was some of the first steps in my transition from being the the Josh to the Joshua that I am today. I've made that change in who I am because of mm. that because of those trainings. And so this guy's the real deal, as you already know from listening to him, but go under the website, download the book and start your process to you know discovering the new you. And if you, not if, you have the opportunity, you just heard the man to schedule a time with him after you get that questionnaire in, do it. Take 20 minutes, talk to him. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? You could grow. You could start getting closer <laughs> to your dreams. You could Think of your life from a different perspective. That's what it took me to do. It took me to go to these events and to shake up everything I was doing because I thought I I had it all figured out and I was absolutely dead wrong. I struggled to run one business back then. Now I run eight with more time on my hands than I've ever had before. And I love helping and empowering people. And I measure my success by the success of others, not by my bank account. I don't give a shit about that stuff anymore. What it's all about is how many (laughs) other people's lights can I, can I light up as we move? But it's because of the teaching of this man that he could train others to light candles and he lit my candle. And now I'm unstoppable, you know, as as a power of service to the, to the human race because of what this man has, has done. So I can't be more thankful that the universe lined up this conversation because I didn't realize it was you until it's podcast, which is really (laughs) fucking cool. (laughs) Well, my absolute pleasure. Dude, that's like full circle shit right there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh goodness. I'm still kind of amazed right now, but anyway, um, Thank you again, Robert, for coming on and for your generosity. Download his book. Um, it's Robert Repel. Repel. One more time. Could you spell it for us, Robert, so everybody can yeah. get it? So just R-O-B-E-R-T, so Robert, and then dot com. Got it. It's perfect. Download it today. As soon as you're off this podcast, go get it and reach out and set up your 20 minutes with this guy because he will change your life. It's really powerful. And thank you for offering our audience that. That's really, really cool. <laughs> Guys, you know that uh, that our goal is impact and empower 2 million lives in the next four and a half years. We had that five, it's going quick. And we have been so blessed to have so many people listening to this podcast, you know, uh, thousands each each time. And it's just been such a blessing and honor to be part of your journey and to to bring amazing people like Robert on here and introduce you to him. And I hope you're taking advantage of the, the, the amazing generosity of the different speakers that come on and talk and tell their stories and have the resources and all that stuff because every single one of us has something special that we can all share it's not about us getting you know tons and tons of of leads that kind of thing you obviously know that we have a sales program i don't care about that on this podcast this is more about introducing you to ideas that can help you take your life to from where it is to where it could possibly go and have you dream big that's what it's all about so thank you again for tuning in and thank you again one more time robert for your amazing generosity and we'll see you guys on the flip side